Hello there and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And uh, we are continuing our podcast on philosophy and theology in the early church. <clears throat> and we're really working our way up to Thomas Aquinas because um, he is seen by many as kind of giving the, the definitive answer to this. And also it's the person that I wrote my paper on. Um, and so that will kind of end our journey for now. Obviously, when you get past Thomas Aquinas, there's lots of more things that could be said, but I'll just leave that to the capable hands of somebody else. Um, so this podcast, we're going to kind of cover all the ground between Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. And you would think that's a lot because Augustine died in the 400s. Thomas Aquinas lived in the um, around the turn of the millennium. Uh, when, did he, when was he born, actually? Actually, he was born uh, 1225. He died 1274. Great to have a computer in front of you when you're doing podcasts. Um, and so there is 800 years gap there. But actually, in reality, not a whole lot happened. It's what we call the Dark Ages, the Medieval Era, the Middle Ages. Um, and I, as I mentioned before, uh, there's a lot that we could say. We should probably have a podcast on this, although I did teach on it. So go over to my sermons podcast and look at the podcast on the Dark Ages. Um, there's lots we could say about that, lots that we don't want to say. We don't want to say it's it's it was caused by religion or something like that. It was caused by just Rome getting too big and imploding on itself, as well as a lot of other factors. Um, so in the West, um, the tendency was really to follow Augustine to continue in the in the path of uh, Platonism, Neoplatonism. Um, Aristotle was really uh, not known in the West. Actually, um, one of the works of Plotinus was translated uh, from the Greek into Latin. And this was actually one of Plotinus' works. Um, we're going to talk about Plotinus soon. Uh, Plotinus made use of Aristotle. Uh, but Plotinus actually was far more influenced by Plato, so he was far more um, Neoplatonic. Um, but this is what the West had as understanding Aristotle was actually Plotinus. Um, sorry, I just hit you with three word, three names you probably don't know real well. All that to say that in the West there wasn't a lot of access to Aristotle. In the East, however, um, Aristotle became the dominant uh, dominant philosopher. What do I mean by the East? By the East, I mean uh, Islam, uh, the Muslim world. So uh, Rome fell at 475, uh, and uh, Muhammad was born sometime in the next century. When was Muhammad born? In 570. <clears throat> and, uh, is that right? No, sorry, he died in 637. He was born, why aren't you telling me where he was born? Anyways, he dies in 632. I think he was born in 570, but I can't find it quickly here. Um, and from that time, uh, Islam really sweeps over the east, takes over um, large portions of Palestine and North Africa and Syria and um, further north in uh, Europe. And um, <clears throat> obviously this eventually sparked a response through the Crusades after two-thirds of the of Formerly, the Christian slash Roman Empire was conquered. Finally, there was a response. Um, but uh, within the the inner workings of Islam at this time, there was relative peace and stability. Of course, on the on the borders, there was there was conquest. But within, 
there was peace and prosperity. Um, similarly to how we said the Roman Empire, while it was growing, um, it, it's good business to grow an empire. It's hard work to keep an empire maintained once it's grown, but it's good business to grow an empire. So anyways, all this to say that uh, in the East, from the inception really of Islam in the the 7th century all the way up to um, you know the turn of the millennia and past, uh, the Muslim world was a very strong and vibrant society and force. While in the West, uh, we were you know struggling to get things back on track uh, after the fall of Rome. And um, something that happened in the East was that Aristotle was really discovered. They had some access to Plato. Um, there will be some that will theorize that um, Islam was uh, was influenced by Neoplatonism. That you know similar ideas that were in the water with uh, Christianity and Neoplatonism is what influenced uh, Islam, um, and certainly led to its development at the early stages. Um, Islam like Christianity, is very compatible with Platonism because obviously you have one God, everything is based on the heaven reality, uh, the world of the forms, and, and so it's very easy to see Islam as well as Christianity through the lens of, of Platonism or Neoplatonism. Um, but they discovered Aristotle, and again, Aristotle has a very good way of looking at the world um, that is very powerful, very useful. Um, and uh, so they had this this dialogue within the Muslim society of what are we going to do with Aristotle? And similarly to how Christianity had the two poles of extremes between conservatives and liberals, so to speak, um, Islam had this long battle over about half a millennia, and in some ways it's still ongoing, but um, for the first you know, half millennia they really wrestled out how are we going to deal with um, the philosophers. And um, I, it's not often talked about the conservatives. Uh, I'm sure if if uh, I was a Muslim and I was really familiar with Muslim history, I would know more of the conservatives. Uh, but we know more the liberal side of things. So we have Avicenna and Averroes. Sorry, it's the other way around. Averroes and then Avicenna are two that guys that really, really um, assimilated uh, Aristotle. And then, uh, or really understood Aristotle, and then if you think about the bubbles again, so then, then they, they tried to fit um, the bubble of religion or of Islam into the bubble of philosophy. <clears throat> so before I continue, I need to just openly admit here, uh, this is not an area that um, my paper wasn't on this. It's not something I naturally have great expertise in. Um, I just like to tell you that when I'm on what I feel is a little bit shaky ground, um, so I'm going to gloss over some things quickly because, again, I really want to move towards my paper on Aquinas. These guys are important because of their influence on Aquinas. And so um, Averroes is... Um, so there were two Muslim guys. Avicenna was the first one. Averroes is the one that um, had, seems to be more important for Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas uh, had kind of nicknames for people that he found really important. He just called Avicenna... Um, he called Averroes, sorry, I think I was calling him Avicenna, he called Averroes um, the commentator. And he called him this because uh, Aristotle wrote um, a lot of very compact, very difficult to understand books. And Averroes wrote some commentaries on that, on explaining to people, translating, but then explaining what in the world Aristotle actually meant. 
And so uh, Thomas Aquinas just referred to him as the commentator. And as we'll get to, uh, he called Aristotle the philosopher. Um, and so he, he had a high place of esteem for Averroes. Averroes felt that there were three types of people. There were kind of the common people, the masses, then there were theologians, and then there were philosophers. And he said that the common people understand just from imagination or from sense of experience of the world. Um, the theologians use philosophy um, to explain the beliefs that they already have, uh, to defend the, the faith that they already have. So they use philosophy to defend their faith. And philosophers use philosophy for philosophy itself. Um, they're the only ones that have philosophy as a pure you know, science. So obviously you can see in his thought that he sees philosophers and philosophy as the primary thing, and others kind of are less important. Uh, he said there's only one truth, and that theology and philosophy are both paths towards the truth. Um, and that theology is important because it has a way of communicating with, quote-unquote, the common people. Um, theologians... Um, are able to use you know the stories of the Bible to communicate to the common people and it makes sense to them whereas philosophy is very difficult in fact he says some people most people shouldn't pursue philosophy just because it's too hard to really study metaphysics and, and especially Aristotle is very very complicated so most people should just rely on religion but if you can he um, comes across as a little bit superior. Um, I'm not sure if he actually is, but this is how he saw things, that if you can, you should study philosophy because it's better. Now, he said there should be no, there is no real um, uh, ten, um, contradiction between philosophy and theology, between the Quran and between Aristotle for him. Um, there's only apparent contradictions. And so he would resort to our old friend allegory to say, you know, if there's something in the Bible, in uh, the Quran, that doesn't line up with Aristotle, well, that must be an allegorical saying in the Quran. And really, you know, what Aristotle says and what we can learn from philosophy and from observations of the world, this is what is true. And so, basically, um, what Averroes is proposing is um, a strong liberal tendency towards. Um, setting up philosophy as the the source of truth and then you know sucking the you know kind of putting theology under the wing so to speak of philosophy kind of bringing it into the bubble oh that's helpful for the common people that's helpful um to maybe give us good illustrations because sometimes philosophy is hard to understand it's always helpful to have stories and, and metaphors from religion but really philosophy is is the height of human understanding now, he came into conflict, obviously, with um, other more conservative Muslims. Uh, and I'm not going to go through the story of his history because I'm, again, not familiar with that. And I really want to get onto my paper. Um, but uh, he was, you know, um, I'm not quite sure if um, we want to say persecuted, but there were a number of trials. There were a number of uh, things where he had to um, defend himself and his position and um, uh, the legacy of him, you know, after his death, I don't think he was martyred for his faith or that he was killed for his faith or anything. Um, but after him, people continued in his vein of, of being very dedicated to philosophy, specifically Aristotle. And, um, 
seeing religion as kind of a subset of philosophy and as less than philosophy. And um, something that Averroes said during one of his trials um, spun off into uh, a separate doctrine, and it's hard to say what, how strongly Averroes held to this himself or whether it was something that he was using under pressure to defend himself. Um, but certainly others uh, held on to it later on to try and defend their way of seeing things. Um, and this became what's known as double truth. So this is the idea that something can be true in philosophy that might not be true in theology. So it's kind of like, you know, relativism or, or postmodernism in a sense that, okay, well, that's true for you, but this is true for me. Um, but in a more formal sense, that when we're talking about things, when we're approaching things from a philosophical mindset, uh, it might be true that there is no beginning of the universe and that uh, matter is uncreated and, and eternal. But when we approach things from the perspective of religion, it is true that there was a beginning of the world. Now, um, now Copleston, our good friend, that uh, you know, the history of philosophy guy, would say he's not actually saying something is actually true in these two senses. Uh, this is just a restatement of the fact that philosophy is supreme. Um, this uh, idea of double knowledge um, has kind of attached the history of, of Avicenna or Averroes um, and kind of besmirged it in a sense. Averroes was a, was a very clear thinking guy um, that is in a sense uh, above a theory such as double theory, double truth. Um, it doesn't take a genius to say, okay, this solves problems maybe in a superficial way, but something can't actually be true in the same sense at the same time. Um, it, something can't actually be both true and false at the same time in the same way, or else uh, the, the um, law of non-contradiction is broken, and that is the foundation of all thought, of all clear thinking. So... Um, and if these, there's these two domains, that there's philosophy and there's theology, I mean, let's just take the creation of the world. Either the world was created or it's eternal. It can't be both created and not eternal. So one or the other needs to be true. So we could say, well, you know, the theology is true, and the philosophy, that's just your perspective. That's just, it's, it's understandable from this viewpoint that you would see it that way. But what you're seeing is not actually true. Or we could say, well, philosophy is true. You know, matter is eternal, it's not created. I understand that when you're reading the Bible, you would think that, but what you're thinking is wrong. One or the other needs to be right, one or the other needs to be false, or else perhaps there needs to be a higher reality where something is true, where neither of them are true. Um, and so, all that to say, um, these ideas are coming into, um, now through the, the First Crusades and, and then on through the, the rest of the Crusades, the West starts to have contact with the East. And academically speaking, I mean, we, we think about the Crusades as this terrible thing where the West, you know, did huge violence on the East. Um, that, again, is a subject for another matter. But academically speaking, just reading through the history of philosophy, um, there, there's really no mention of that. Um, really, the, what is interesting and significant is the coming together of minds. And through the Crusades, really the West became familiar with uh, Islam in an intellectual way, and also with uh, the philosophy of Aristotle. 
And so as Aristotle starts coming over, A, he's attached to um, Islam, because he has been understood through an Islamic um, framework, and B, he's coming over with Avicenna, who either is uh, should be understood as proposing a radically liberal uh, understanding of philosophy, where philosophy is the absolute, and then you know religion is underneath that, and the common people are the lowest. Um, and it, it's you know the two religions, Christianity and Islam, are similar enough that people were basically just swapping out Islam for you know swapping out the Quran for the Bible and saying, you know using the same framework, but plugging Christianity into there. So you had uh, Averroists during the time of Aquinas that were proposing, okay, we need to adopt um, Aristotle as our philosopher instead of Plato and, and Plotinus. And yeah, sure, the Bi there's, there's room for the Bible, there's room for religion, but that's kind of subservient to the master, which is philosophy. Um, and then you had people coming in and saying, well, there's, you know, kind of double truth. That's true in philosophy, but not true in religion. And this was used, kind of seen as uh, a way of resolving the problem, any tension between philosophy and um, religion. And so in our surveying of different models, uh, this is the fourth model, that something can be true in philosophy and false in theology. Oh, and there's no conflict because these are two completely different domains. Um, this is, you know, another model. There's again, I think I've I've mentioned a number of times that there's a lot of controversy about how much this really uh, was a position that Averroes actually held, or whether it was just something that kind of um, was developed by some of his later followers. Um, but it was something in, you know, that that was a, a theory that was held uh, very seriously by some of his followers. Um, in the 12th and 13th centuries and beyond. So, uh, just to lay some of the background then for Aquinas, he's working with uh, a very proud tradition of the Church Fathers up from, <clears throat> you know, the 2nd through the 5th century. And then there's a lot of darkness, or a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of writing through the Middle Ages, but um, the 900s, 1000s, 1100s, leading up to him, all of a sudden, the West kind of gets back on its feet uh, with the Crusades, one of the really positive effects on the West was that it really organized uh, the West. It it, co it brought a cohesion back to the Empire, where everybody is setting troops, and there, there was a collective consciousness of of we are the Roman Empire, we are the Holy Roman Empire. We're we're together in our fight against Islam. Uh, so again, uh, fighting wars you know, has a positive effect to bring people together. Um, not that I'm for war at all. Um, intellectually speaking, uh, he, most of the West is very influenced by Plato. And this, uh, in his lifetime, was represented by Bonaventure. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about him. He's a, very, he's a Saint Bonaventure. He's sainted by the Church. He's an important thinker. Uh, he's going to be Augustinian in his thinking. But in his framework of philosophy and theology, he's going to tend to be more even towards Tertullian in just conservative, um, in, uh, and I'm, I might be misrepresenting him as I say this, but uh, he's usually, it's, we often talk about um, a tension between Thomas Aquinas and St. Bonaventure because St. Bonaventure was saying, 
you're using philosophy far too much. Uh, just stick to the Bible. Stick to uh, what the Holy Spirit says through the Bible and through you know personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. Um, so he had this going on. And then he has um, these ideas coming from Islam, where Islam is coming, for one thing. So Thomas Aquinas spent a lot of time um, dealing with Islam as an intellectual system and uh, writing you know kind of against it and engaging with it. Also, Aristotle is coming over. And he reads Aristotle, he ma masters Aristotle, and uh, throughout his works he just calls him the philosopher. Uh, and Thomas Aquinas basically becomes um, becomes very convinced that Aristotle is the best way to look at the world and philosophy. Uh, and then he has Averroes coming over, either with a strong liberalism or with double truth. And both of these are strongly condemned by the church. <coughs> It was actually forbidden to teach Aristotle in the universities. and um, all, But although it was forbidden, it was still going on. And increasingly, people were just teaching it and learning it and studying it. And so it was something that needed to be dealt with. Um, they couldn't just, just lock the doors or pretend that it didn't exist or that it didn't happen. Um, there needed to be a good answer for what do we do with Aristotle. And so Thomas Aquinas sets himself about the task of um, answering Islam, which we won't get to that today at all. Um, but uh, Thomas Aquinas wrote probably one of the best um, apologetic works against Islam or towards Islam, explaining Christianity to them. Um, and he also sets about the task of understanding how to deal with with Aristotle uh, within the Christian from the Christian framework, and he's going to present a new way of seeing how philosophy and theology can fit together.